This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Chuck Ford and Relate Church in Byron, Mississippi. For more information, please visit RelateChurch.com. Welcome to week number six of our series. We're calling it A New Way for a New Day. Everybody say A New Way for a New Day. And I want you to turn with me, if you would, to John the 13th chapter. And uh, I want to read... In the, in the very first verse, and then we're going to go over to John chapter 14. But in John chapter 13, it says this, Before the Passover celebration, Jesus knew that his hour had come to leave this world and return to his Father. He had loved his disciples during his ministry on earth, And now he loved them to the very end. Or some translations say, and now he was about to show them the full extent of his love. But I want you to notice what it says, that this Passover celebration had come. And Jesus knew that his hour, he knew that his time had come. Did you know that you can know that when your hour has come? And you can know when your time has come? A lot of people talk, well, you know, nobody knows or only God knows or it was just, you know, so-and-so's time. But you can know when your hour has come and you can know when your time has come. You can have a witness about that. And, you know, the thing about it is the enemy, he, he can pull out, he can have all kind of tactics against you. And we know that his mission is to, to steal, kill, and destroy. Well, just because that's his mission doesn't mean it's your time. That's better preaching than y'all are amen, and I know it's early, but I mean, just because he has a mission, that doesn't mean that it's your time. And the wonderful thing is, God has given you and I authority in the name of Jesus over the enemy, and whenever he tries to pull something on us, we can say, no, we can give him a cease and desist order in Jesus' name, and he has to stop. Instead of just being little weak Christians and, you know, and just sitting back and taking it and being a doormat for him and, and letting him walk all over, oh, well, you know, this is just the way life is. No, I mean, that's the way life is for unbelievers. That doesn't have to be the way life is for someone who's following Jesus and who is a believer and a person of faith and a person who knows who they are in Christ and a person who knows their authority. Right? So Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew that his hour had come. He knew that his time was, had, had come, that he was about to, to leave this world and he was about to return to his father. And so he's talking about this Passover and, and the, the fir, very first Passover, you know, over a thousand years prior to this, signaled a new day. It signaled a new day for the nation of Israel. Of course, they had grown up and they had multiplied and become strong in, in Egypt. And they were under, you know, Egyptian bondage and they were in slavery. And overnight, God brought them out into a new day. They left the old behind and they stepped into the new. And Jesus right here on this particular Passover, on this particular Passover, it, Jesus was signaling a brand new day for his followers where his followers would would leave the bondage that was produced by the law of Moses and the prophets and they were going to step into a new day. 
You see, it wasn't called the Old Covenant then because that's all they had. But it's called the Old Covenant now. Why? Because something new transpired. Well, if something new transpires, well, then something that used to be normal or status quo is now old. I mean, it's kind of like your iPhone. I mean, your iPhone can be a year old. But when they come out with something new, then all of a sudden you start referring to your one-year-old phone as my old phone, right? It's not really old. It's only old because there's something new. There's something better to replace it, right? And so Jesus in John 13, he's signaling that a new day, a new season, a new dispensation is up on them. They're right on the threshold of something brand new. And because they're, up on, they're on the threshold of something brand new, just like Israel had to have their mind renewed coming out of Egypt, they were going to have to function differently. Jesus said, now you're going to have to function differently. And so I'm about to give you a set of behaviors, a set of practices that you are to operate in under this new covenant, under this new movement. As followers of me, I'm going to give you a a way to live the rest of your life. And if you live this way the rest of your life, you will be successful, right? And so he gave, he was giving his disciples these instructions where these, these instructions are for you and I today to live for the rest of our life. Is that right? And so he talked to them about, and just to review a little bit, he, he talked to them about having a new attitude. In, in, in their leadership, in their positions of authority, he was talking to them about having a new attitude that they were to lead with a, with a heart of a servant and not like they had seen it observed beforehand where it was just hard and, and it was just taskmaster and, and I mean just, you know, just ruling over the people with a strong hand. No, he said, you know, you're going to lead with a heart of a servant. And if you want to be great... You see, because they were, they were bickering and fussing, who's going to be the greatest? Said, if you want to be great, if you want to be great, what? Y'all help me out. What are we talking about? You, you, you got to be a servant. To all, you got to have this heart of a servant to all. So he talked about that, and then he began to talk to him about this, this new commandment this new ethic that was to govern this new movement that would cause this new movement, which is called his church, to be absolutely irresistible. So we talked about that for about four weeks, and we could have talked about it for four or five or six more weeks. But at some point, we got to move on to the next thing Jesus said, right? And so notice with me in John the 14th chapter, John the 14th chapter, verse 1, Jesus said this. Well, let, me, let me back up to chapter 13. <clears throat> chapter 13 and verse uh, 33 says, Jesus said, Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you cannot come where I'm going. Now then skip to, down to the... Uh, um, John 14, verse 1, he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Now, you, you see, I want you, I want you to get this. He's telling his disciples, 
He, he's telling them, I am leaving. You are staying. Now, this, this was so disconcerting for them. This was so troubling for them because they're thinking all along that Jesus had been talking to them about this kingdom. And they're thinking all along that, that Jesus is the Messiah and he is the, he's the king of the Jews and, and he's about to establish an earthly kingdom upon this earth that's going to rule over all the other kingdoms. And then all of a sudden, this guy that they've been following around for three and a half years said, I'm leaving. You're staying. What you thought was going to happen is not going to happen the way that you thought that it was going to happen. And how many of you know that's the case in many things? In many things in our life, we have these ideas of how we think it's going to happen, when it's going to be done, when it's going to be completed, when it's going to be finished. And sometimes things just don't work out how you thought they would work out. I thought I would be married by now. I thought I would have children by now. I thought that I would be out of debt by now. I thought that my kids would be serving the Lord by now. I thought that things would be different than they are right now. I thought we would be in a building by now. I thought that... <laughs> Right? Have you realized that some things are not in your control? Now, many things you do have authority over. Here's another thing. All things are not in God's control. Well, God's in control of everything. Well, if he's in control, he's out of control. Right? Because things are, things are a mess down here, in case you hadn't seen. So, uh, Jesus, notice what he says. He said, I, I'm, I'm leaving. And notice what he says in verse 14. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God and trust also in me. There's more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I'm going. So I think, I think this is real interesting because they've got it in their mind. They got it in their mind that Jesus is about to establish his earthly kingdom, and then he comes up with some nonsense that I'm leaving, you're staying. And he knew this would trouble their heart. He knew, he knew and this is interesting. This is interesting. They had been with Jesus for three and a half years, and they were thinking wrong. They had heard his teaching for three and a half years, and they're thinking wrong. I mean, they're just totally off in the way they think. Yeah. And they had been with Jesus. Now, there's a lot of good preachers around. There's a lot of excellent teachers and preachers of the Word of God. None of them are better than Jesus. Yeah. Right? None of them are more anointed than Jesus. 
none of them have more revelation than Jesus. And they had heard him for three years, and they were thinking wrong. I got happy when, I, when, I, when, when that dawned up on my heart yesterday. I, I just got happy about that. That even some of the people that Jesus ministered to personally in the flesh didn't get it. I mean, I got people all the time say, Pastor Chuck, you said this. I, I didn't say that. Oh, yeah, you, you, you said, no, I didn't say that. Have you, have you realized that a lot of times we hear what we want to hear? And that's why the revelation of the Holy Spirit is so important, right? So they're, they're, they've heard Jesus for three and a half years. They still got it wrong in their thinking. But he, he said some really interesting things to them. He said some really interesting things to them. Uh, he said, I'm leaving. I mean, it's apparent from these scriptures in John 14. I'm going away. You're going to stay. I'm going away. You're going to stay. Another thing that's, that's interesting about this is that they weren't to live just short-sighted. I'm going away. You're going to stay. But I'm going to prepare a place for you. Now, a lot of people got this idea that Jesus is just in, ham, in heaven with a hammer and nails building their, their mansion, and he is preparing a place for us, but that's not all he's doing there. And so he's saying, I'm going away, you're going to stay, but I am coming back. I, I'm getting something ready for you, but I am coming back. And so he, he wants us to live mindful of the fact that he is doing something now for us. He is preparing a place for us now. He is our great high priest who is forever making intercession for us on the right hand of the Father right now. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He is working in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure. He still is doing some things. He's wanting to let them know, I'm going away, but I'm not dead. I'm alive. And I'm coming back again. And you need to live your life mindful of the fact that I am coming back again. I mean, you know, the, the, Paul even says this, that he who has this hope, hope of what? That he's coming back, purifies himself. When you know that Jesus is one day going to come back again, it'll cause you and I to live differently if we, than if we thought that he was never coming back or if he was going to come back way past our lifetime. But here's the fact, he is coming back. He said, you need to be mindful of this, that I'm coming back again. How many of you believe that he's coming back? Amen. So he, he's telling them this. He said, I'm, he said I'm, uh, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house, there's plenty of room for you. I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when everything is ready... When everything is ready, well, obviously, not everything's ready yet. You say, well, how do you know? He ain't come back yet. <laughs> Light bulbs. 
when everything is ready, I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you so that you can be with me. Right? But what was it, what was it that Jesus told them that was instructional for their life? Because in John 13, 14, 15, 16, he's giving them instructions on how to live when he's not here. And these same instructions apply to you and I today as his followers. So what was it that was that was instructional to his disciples on that night when he, they're sitting around the table. What was it? Notice what he said in, in verse 1, John 14, 1. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't live a life of turmoil. Don't live a life of worry. Don't live a life of fear. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Are there things that sometimes trouble our hearts that cause us to be anxious or, or worried or fearful? And Jesus, what did Jesus, what was his directions? Don't let your heart. So the understood subject in that verse is you don't let your heart, your heart, you don't let your heart be troubled. You don't live a life of turmoil. You don't live a life of worry. Now, I get it that this is all in the context that they're thinking he's, we're going, he's about to set up his kingdom. They're fighting over who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit at his right hand, who's going to sit at his left hand, and, and they got all that in their mind, and it's not going to happen the way they're thinking it's going to happen. And Jesus said, don't let your heart be troubled. Don't be so worried about this. Don't be so anxious about this. Don't live a life of turmoil. I'm going to come back, and I'm going to get you. Right? Everybody say, don't live a life of turmoil. Worry or fear. Now, the responsibility is on us. Is it? The responsibility is, is on us. He said, you don't let your heart. Now, the heart, the heart is, you know, in, in the Bible, the word heart, spirit, soul, sometimes you've got to really, you've got to study it rightly divide the word of truth because they can be interchangeably or sometimes one can mean one thing or another thing. But, but the heart is just, it is, it, is, it is the core of how you see things. It's the core of how you experience things. It's the filter that you see all of life through. It's how you ponder things. It's how you think about things. And is this important? Is it important not only what you think on, but how you think about it? Is that important? Yeah, because as you think, so will you be. Right? So our thinking is, 
it's important then we're admonished by Paul, you know, whatsoever things are lovely, pure, good report, and praiseworthy, and so on. He said, think on these things. So your heart has to do with how you see the filter that's over your eyes, how you see the world, how you see how things are, and how you think about it. How you think about it. So important. So important. How many of you know if you ponder, and you know this, we all know this, if you and I are pondering the wrong things, what does it do to your heart? Huh? Turmoil? Huh? Corrupts it? Yeah. So, so if, if we think on the wrong things, if we're pondering the wrong things, and, and just be honest, over the last few weeks, man, I've, I, I, this word has tested me. And I haven't always, I haven't done that great with it, just be honest with you. And so, so if you, if you, if the, for instance, a thought comes to your mind, man, this is, this is never going to happen, or I'm, I'm never going to get married, or I'm never going to have children. And, and you sit there and you think about that, and you ponder that, what does it do to your heart? It brings discouragement to your heart. It brings an anxiety to your heart, a turmoil to your heart, right? Now, back just a couple of weeks ago, you know, they had that big, uh, that, that big lottery, right? Somebody had bought me a ticket, and I said, well, we're going to split it if I win. Okay. Payout on it was about $370 million dollars. I could split it and get by. I think it'd be all right. So, uh, <laughs> so, so you've done this. We've all done this. Maybe not with a lottery, but with Ed McMahon showing up at your house and, you know, a long lost relative that you never knew about, show, you know, dies and all of a sudden you get a call and, man, they, they leave you all this money. Now, does it discourage your heart? When you start planning, you think, what would I do with all this money? Oh, all this money I'm, makes me so sad. <laughs> no, that doesn't discourage you. Right? And we've all dr dreamt about things like that before. We daydreamed about things. Drooled on your desk about things. You know, you're thinking. Of, but if, so if you ponder, if you ponder positive, hope-filled things, it brings encouragement to your heart. If you ponder the wrong things, guess what? It's going to bring discouragement to your heart. It's going to bring turmoil and anxiety, worry. It's just going, it's going, it's going to just kind of settle in. And when I'm talking about your heart, I'm not talking about the, that physical organ that pumps blood through your body. I'm talking about that spiritual organ that pumps life through your body through your soul and all, through your being, right? And so, if you, if you, so we get this. If you ponder the wrong things, you'll get discouraged. If you ponder the right things, it's going to bring hope and encouragement. This works in just natural stuff, like win the lottery. And, and, and here's the thing. You're more likely to get struck by lightning you're more likely to, you know, get 
you know, eaten by a shark. <laughs> and so you're pondering something that's never going to happen, and it brings hope. You, you're, you're pondering something that, that has no basis for ever happening, and it produces encouragement in your heart. How much more if something that has a base to it, that has substance to it, that the Almighty God has said, how much more if we should we ponder that? And, it, and, it, and it's not even baseless. I mean, it is, it's called hope. It's called faith. How much more? And it's real. The other stuff's not real. Yeah, I know somebody wanted, but you didn't. And you're never going to. So you don't know that I have faith. You can't. But you can have faith in this. Amen? I forgot to start my timer. I better check the... <laughs> they said, we're not, we don't have, we can't put the timer back on the wall. So that's all right. I don't ever pay attention to it anyway. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Turn with you would to Matthew the sixth chapter. Are y'all y'all anybody getting help? Amen. Yeah. No use coming to church. We're not gonna get help. Might as well stay in the bed. That's right. Watch cartoons. <laughs> in Matthew the sixth chapter, verse twenty-five. Jesus said, this is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. What did he say? Don't worry about everyday life. And we got people who are worried to death. They even, they even say it. I'm just worried to death. Worried to death. Worry to death, and it is a scientific fact that you can worry yourself to death. That you, you, you just worry yourself to death. All we can do is just worry and pray. Well, you just canceled out the prayer part because, because prayer don't even work by worry, it works by faith. So you might as well just worry. Get it over with faster. <laughs> he said, that's why I tell you not to worry. Whose responsibility is it not to worry? Is it God's responsibility that we don't worry? No, that's why I tell you not to worry. Don't be anxious. Don't allow your heart to be troubled. Don't do it. Don't do it. That's our responsibility. So don't allow your, don't, don't, I'm telling you, don't worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. So the only remedy, the only remedy 
for a troubled heart. The, the, the only remedy for a troubled heart. And here's the thing. It's not like some of us are exempt from having to face the temptation not to worry. We all face that. The reason, if we didn't all face that, Jesus wouldn't have told us all not to do it. And so he's instructing us because why? There's, we're living in an imperfect world with imperfect timing, dealing with other people's wills, dealing with a, a fallen creation that sometimes we can't control, right? And God says, don't allow your heart to be troubled. And so the only remedy for a troubled heart is that I must be mindful of God's care. I must be mindful of his care. You know what, you know what it means to be mindful of something? It doesn't mean, it means that that you are purposely, you purposely have inputs into your life where your own purpose, thinking about stirring yourself up about God's care. You know, David encouraged himself in the Lord. You remember when he and his soldiers went off to battle? And they came back and all the kids and all the wives were gone. They had been kidnapped. Some had been killed. I mean, the, the city had been burned and destroyed. You didn't have nobody patting David on the back. Oh, that's all right, David. My family's gone. You led us into battle. My family's gone. That's all right, though. No, he didn't have anybody encouraging him. David had to encourage himself in the Lord. You're not going to have somebody encouraging you all the time. And at some point in your life, you know, the, James says this, is any of you married? What do you say to do if you're, if you're married, if you're happy? He said, sing a song. If you're happy, you don't ask somebody else to sing a song for you. Hey, I'm happy, sing for me. No, if you're happy, you sing. If any of you afflicted, a lot of times what do we do? We, Pray for me. I'm afflicted. No, if any of you are afflicted, let him pray. You pray. You do something. You encourage yourself. You do something. You can't control what anybody else does, but you can control what you do. So David, he encouraged himself in the Lord. So the only remedy for a troubled heart is to, be, is to have a mindful heart. I mean, a heart that's, that's set on God's care. It's set on, 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 on how God has promised to care for you, to watch over you, to help you. It's, that is the only remedy. If you want your heart to be encouraged, well, then encourage yourself. Notice in this in verse 26, Matthew 6, 26. I mean, he just told them, don't worry about everyday life, which, you know, whether you're going to have enough food to drink or clothes to wear. Verse 26, he says, look at the birds. Have y'all ever looked at the birds? 
Sometimes I like to sit on my back porch, especially when it's raining. I watch the birds back there and the, just flying around. Not a care in the world. Not worried about where the next meal is coming from. Right? He said, look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For your heavenly Father feeds them. He feeds them. In other words, he takes care of them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Now, I know some goofball people, they worship the creation more than they do the creator. And you got to understand this, that you and I, humans, we are the pinnacle of his creation. We are the pinnacle. A dog is not more valuable than you are. A bird is not more valuable than you are. A whale or a tree is not more valuable than you are. And he said, well, I don't know about that. Well, he just said, aren't you more valuable than a bird? Are you? Absolutely. You're, you're more valuable to him than they are. And with all your worrying, can all your worries add a single moment to your life? No, but it can take a few moments away. And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field, how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Those lilies aren't out there striving, are they? They're not all worried. We don't have any petals on us this year. Is the color going to be right? Are we going to match? They're not working or making their clothing. Yet Solomon, in all his glory, was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. And here's the deal. And here's the deal. Why do you have so little faith? Do you know why you and I sometimes have so little faith? You want me to tell you why? Because we think about the wrong things. We ponder the wrong things. We've got stinking thinking. We're looking at the wrong things. We're meditating on the wrong things. We're pondering the wrong things. And what does that do to your heart? It discourages your heart. What does it do? It, it robs your heart of hope. Hope is a faith word. Hope has to do with an expectation of good. Hope has to do with the future, but it's a good future. It's an expectation of good. And so what, when you, you and I think on the wrong things, meditate on the wrong things, ponder the wrong things, it robs our heart of hope. It robs our heart of faith. And you say, well, I wish God would give me more faith. He don't need to give you any more faith. You just need to turn that frown upside down. 
and you need to begin thinking about the right stuff, thank you. Yeah. You need to start thinking about the right things. You need to start pondering the right things, meditating on the right things. Look, you cannot, you cannot spend 45 minutes, you cannot spend an hour in just thinking about how much God loves you and how he cares for you and walk out of, walk out of the same room depressed. You just cannot do it. You cannot do it. So the only remedy for a troubled heart is what? A mindful heart of God's care. Being mindful of God's care for you. He cares for you. More than he cares for the birds. More than he cares for the flowers. He cares for you. Amen. Amen. So, so, so what do we do about this? Notice this in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. We're going to close. It's the shortest sermon in a year. All right. I guess. I don't know what time it is. Yeah, pretty good. Notice this. 1 Peter 5, 7. He is casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, on him. For he cares about you with the deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. I mean, what if you just, what if, what if you and I, we just, th this week, we just said, you know what? Every time this thought of worry, every time this thought of we're not going to have enough, every time this thought of, you know, it's never going to happen, every time this thought about, uh, you know, it, my body's never going to change, every time we have this thought, if we just, we just sit back, no, 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 I am not going to think about that. I'm going to think about what God said. He watches over me with the deepest affection. He watches over me. He is very watchful over me. He cares for me. He cares for me more than a bird. He cares for me more than a flower. He cares for me. He loves me. He is for me, not against me. He's given me all things to richly enjoy. I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his seed begging bread. Amen. What if we just step back and we just begin to ponder the goodness of God, ponder the care of God, ponder, I mean, just, and just meditate on how good and how faithful he has been. How faithful? You said, well, has he been faithful? You're still here. And you have no idea what's been levied against you. And you're still here. Right? So I, you know, a lot of people, they just lay hands on me. Well, you know, laying hands on me might work for 30 seconds. But this is something that you can do. Right? This is something that you can do. You can encourage yourself. You can be mindful of God's promises. You can, I mean, you can thank God and praise him for his promises. You can do that. You better do that. Right? If you do that, hope will come up in your heart. 
So what if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work? Well, at least you'll die happy. <laughs> at least you'll die expecting. At least you'll go down with a smile on your face. <laughs> right? How are you seeing it? The way you're seeing it is an indication of what you've been thinking about, what you've been meditating on. Amen? Father, we give you thanks and praise. We worship you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your wonderful care in our life. Thank you that you're helping us. Thank you that you've never failed us. You've never, ever failed us. You've never left us alone. You've never left us by ourselves. And Lord, I thank you that this morning as we turn our hearts toward you, as we turn our attention toward you, as we meditate upon your goodness, on your faithfulness, Lord, I thank you that hope just begins to fill our hearts. Expectation begins to fill our hearts. That joy just begins to rise in our hearts. I thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that if we would, that any time during this week that when these negative thoughts, these negative impressions, these negative emotions begin to find their way into our thinking, into our soul, Lord, that we would cast them down, that we would step back, and we would begin just worship you and praise you and thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and all that you will do for us. I give you praise for it. And Father, I pray that if there's any single person in this room that has not ever come to the very source of life and hope, Jesus, if there's a person in this room that have never surrendered their heart and their life to him, Lord, I ask that you would just begin to minister to them right now. Draw them to yourself. Draw them to yourself as only you can do. I thank you for it. Every head bowed and every eye closed if you're in here today and you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. And that just simply means you, you, you say, you know what, I'm going to decide to follow Jesus. I'm going to turn my back on on, on the devil, I'm going to turn my back on the way that things have, I've been living and, and, and I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to surrender my heart to him and he's going to be my Lord. And if you've never done that but you want to do that today, I want to pray for you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front. I'm not going to even ask you to stand but just right there in your chair with an uplifted hand we'll, we can pray for you this morning. So I'm count to three if that's you. Be bold, be courageous, lift your hand. Here we go. One, two, three. Right now. Anywhere. I'm looking across the room. Thank you, sir. I see your hand. Good job. Look at across the room one more time. Awesome. Good. All right. Hey, y'all, let's, let's pray this prayer out loud together just from your heart. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, Dear Heavenly I, thank Father I thank you for Jesus. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, come into my heart. Change me. Make me brand new. Amen. Church, let's give this young man a big hand. All right.